Well, we've had a couple weeks break from my first Samuel series, and I'm going to continue that for that break. And I've got one message left, but I'm going to wait till uh, October 8th, I think, uh, to do that one. Uh, today I want to talk to you about friends, and then, um, then, and then next Sunday's communion, so I'm going to do a message for that, and then we'll get back to 1 Samuel and, and finish up that series. Normally, I uh, preach uh, from, just take a Bible text and work my way through that, and I don't very often just pick a subject and then look for passages that go along with that subject. And so I was looking back to see what I've done just on the subject of friendship. And while it's fit into a number of sermons where it's appeared in the text, I can't find that I've ever just preached on the subject of, of friendship and all of that before. So I'm going to do that today. And the Bible talks about different kinds of friendships. And so I want to look at those this morning. First of all, the Bible talks about faithful Friendships, faithful friendships. When you think of that, we've just been through 1 Samuel, and so, of course, the first one that comes to mind in the Bible is David and Jonathan. Um, as, as far as being great friends, they had a sworn friendship. In fact, 1 Samuel 20, verse 42 says that it was a sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, that they had actually made a vow to each other to be that kind of a loyal, uh, faithful friends to each other. They were so um, faithful to each other that they would have taken a bullet for each other. There was no question about that. In fact, and we've talked about the fact that Jonathan, who had every right to be next in line, to be the next king of Israel after his father Saul, he was willing to lay all that down because he knew it was God's will for David, and he supported David, worked with him, helped him. Uh, he would have, you know, he would have done anything to help David uh, in his relationship. And so, he is a. They are great examples of a faithful friend. You go a little bit further in the Old Testament, and you come across the prophet Daniel. And Daniel has great friends. Daniel has uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, we, we look at those three, and wherever you go in Daniel, you will never find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego separated from each other. They are always all three in the same place at the same time. Now, Daniel may go do something, but those three will be together. And so those, those four friends... You just think about um, the friendship that they had as a result of being Israelites that had been taken captive uh, and taken to Babylon. Uh, they were young. They were young teens uh, when that happened. And so they were taken into Babylonian captivity. They were Jews living in a pagan land. And they had to try to figure out, as young teens, how do I preserve being a Jew and how do I preserve being faithful to my God while I'm in this pagan environment where they want me to speak their language and live their pagan lives and they want us to do all this? And so at that young age, they, those four work together all the time, uh, helping each other uh, stay true to their Jewish faith in the midst of the pagan culture. And the fact is, those four were willing to die for their faith 
whether it meant a lion's den um, or fiery furnace or whatever, whatever it was, those four were such faithful friends that they helped each other maintain their faith in the midst of very difficult circumstances. So question for us is, in the midst of the culture in which we live, who are you such a faithful friend to that you help them live a faithful Christian life in the midst of this culture? And who is doing that for you? That's what a faithful friend does, uh, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, did with Daniel. And then you go to the New Testament, and you will find, of course, Jesus. And Jesus is uh, has all of his friends, his disciples, and they are friends. And then you go a little bit further, and there's the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is not one that we typically would think of right away in terms of, one, having great friends. And yet you don't have to think very hard about it before you realize, oh, he's a great example of someone who has really a lot of faithful friends. You cannot read one of his epistles without him starting it talking about people and friends and without him ending it. In fact, this great epistle, Romans, that is very deep doctrine book, has all of that, and then he spends the whole last chapter saying, greet this person, greet that person. Oh, this person did this for me. Greet that person. Greet this person. Uh, Respect them. Hold them in high honor. And he, he spends a whole chapter in this book that is all about doctrine and what we, you and I should believe. And he spends this whole chapter at the end of Romans talking about his friendships, his faithful friendships. He does that in the big epistles. He does that in the little epistles. He talks about his friends in almost every book that he writes because he is a man that has built faithful friends. He um, he has friends that warn him against dangers. They try to talk him out in, in Acts chapter 19. They said, man, if you go there, they're just going to kill you. And, and he didn't listen to his friends very well. He just went ahead and went. But nonetheless, they were those kind of friends that would stand in the way and say, Paul, this is dangerous for you to do. They were there for him. Paul spent a great time, a great deal of time in prison and under house arrest. You know that from reading the epistles, but also from the history book in Acts. And um, it's interesting that in that culture, unlike our prisons today, um, in that culture, if you didn't have someone that cared about you, you just died in prison. Because it was not their responsibility to take care of you. If you didn't have someone that brought you food and brought you the things you needed to survive in prison, you just laid there and rotted. And so Paul consistently talks about, it doesn't make much sense to us in our culture, but he talks about being in prison and under house arrest and all these friends that bring things to him and provide for his needs. And that's because 
if they didn't, if he didn't have some faithful friends to him when he was in prison, he would have just died there. But all these friends, they kept bringing him things and bringing him food and bringing him his provisions uh, while he was there in prison. And so it's really an amazing story uh, about Paul when you think about his friendships that he had. He was a man with faithful friendships. Now, John Maxwell says that you and I will acquire the vices and the virtues of our closest associates. The fragrance of their lives will pervade your life. And so, um, you know, what he's, he's telling us there is that you and I need to make sure that we develop some faithful friends in our life that what's good about them will rub off on us and what's good about us will rub off on them. There's a, a clip they're going to show us now um, from David Crowder who's talking about the impact of friendships on his life. I grew up in a in an incredibly uh, my parents were just really devout in their faith, so a great Christian home. Growing up in church, you know, you've got a, you have a certain posture that you present. It and school were, were kind of, it just always seemed to struggle to be who you were. But the, the great part is having really incredible friends. They were a part of my spiritual formation as much as my folks were. We just there's a little group of us that just really wanted to, I don't know, follow this guy Jesus and figure out what that looked like and meant. I think my crisis of faith didn't hit, hit me until about college. I think that's when. I get out from under my parents and you inherit this faith and then you've got to sort through. Your faith kind of bumps up against all these other um, ideas or outlooks on life and the world. And my college years really is where I sifted through the stuff that I had been carrying for a while and put put aside what I felt like um, was was keeping me um, from being who I was made to be and, and picking up some new things that seemed to be where where uh, God was pushing me and, and pointing me in. You know, I think we find God, you know, He reveals Himself in a number of ways, in nature and in Scripture and history. To me, when He's been most real and present, He's been, He's had flesh and bone. He's been the people that are near me. And the person closest to me is my wife. And when I've had my lowest points, when I've done something just absolutely ignorant, the way she has brought forgiveness and been forgiveness has been... Um, the most real thing I felt of God. But to do something really just dumb and have somebody throw their arms around you and love you regardless is unbearable almost. Yet that's been when God has been the most real and present. And so I think it's I think it's paying attention to the people you're in relationship with. And when you're at the bottom, you're, you'll find God popping up in real living, breathing people around you. So faithful friendships. Um, he talks about experiencing God and feeling like God um, becomes evident to him through flesh and bones of the people around him. So the question is, do, do we have those kind of faithful friendships and are we that for other people where they begin to sense God more real because they've been around us or we've been around them. So there's 
faithful friendships. There are also forbidden friendships in the Bible. Ezra, the prophet, uh, in Ezra chapter 9, verse 12, he reminds the Israelites that they were never to enter into a treaty of friendship with people of detestable practices or corrupt and impure habits. Um, and so he, you know, he warns that, but that, you know, and he, he uh, repeats some scriptures from uh, the books of Moses and all of that. But there are there are s- simply some people that God says you and I should not associate with. We should not have friendships with those people. James in the New Testament says much the same thing when he writes in James chapter four four, "You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means hatred towards God?" Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Solomon in the Old Testament says uh, some of the same things in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. He says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked lead them astray. And then later on in Proverbs 22, verse 24, he says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one who is easily angered. And so there are just some, there are some faithful friendships that you and I need to have. And then there are some forbidden friendships that simply don't do us any good. And we need to avoid those friendships. There's a Latin proverb that you've all heard many times. He that lies down with dogs shall rise up with fleas. I don't know how I I misspelled it or did something, but in my text I had written down, rise up with flies. (laughs) So, and I have it in here. Yes, I didn't correct that one. (laughs) I caught it this morning and didn't catch that. Um, So anyway, anyway, it's fleas. Um, So there are friendships that are to be faithful. There are friendships that are simply forbidden, that there are some friendships that maybe you and I need to curtail and we need to cut off. And then there are friendships that are simply fickle, fickle friendships. The most notable of those is Job's three friends. There's Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Jophar, the Namathite. And uh, they're listed in Job chapter 2, verse 11, and uh, it comes right after Job chapter 1, where this man who has great wealth and everything's going his way and great family and all of that, and just seems like he has a perfect life, and all of a sudden he loses it all except for his wife. And she's just left there telling him to curse God and, and give it up. You know, that's her advice to him at the end of all of that. But he loses his possessions and his, his sons are killed and, and he just, life is horrible for him. And in those horrible losses, and then God strikes him with sickness and he's got boils and sores all over and he's miserable. And he has three friends who come to him to comfort him. Now, I think those three friends thought they were faithful friends, but they were fickle. They um, thought they were coming to comfort him. In fact, Job 2.11 says that they said, when they heard all this stuff that happened to Job, they said, let us go and comfort him. And then for 38 chapters, they do anything but comfort him. (laughs) 
They tell him everything that he might have possibly done wrong and why God did this to him. And if he would just change his ways, none of this would have happened. And basically, they just believe the whole line of theology that says, if you are a Christian, everything should go your way. Have it your way today and be a Christian. And if you just will serve Christ, you can you can have it all. And they bought into that theology. And so they said, Job, you know, you had it all. You lost it all, so you must not be living right. You're hiding something. And they just nailed him again and again for 38 chapters. They talked to him about, you know, what must be wrong with him and how there was nothing wrong with them, but it was all him. I've been listening to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase for my devotions this year of the Bible. And uh, he gets to this one verse that I just love the way he paraphrased it, um, where Job says to his three friends, you want me to pick myself up by my bootstraps, but I don't even have any boots. <laughs> and that's how Job felt. He just felt like, you know, his friends wanted him to do this and they wanted him to do that. And he couldn't do anything because he had just been stripped to the bear and he was miserable and he didn't have anything. There was no comfort to be found in those three friends. They were kind of fickle. There's a Jewish proverb that says, in choosing a friend, go a step up. In choosing a friend, go a step up. That's what Daniel did with his three friends. That's what Paul did with his friends. But Job probably could have found three friends who were more of a step up. Now, in all fairness, the good thing to be said about these three is that they hung in there. Because in some cases, you run into fair-weather friends who are only there when there's a benefit to them. There was no real benefit for Job's three friends to stay around for 38 chapters and tell Job what was wrong with him. <laughs> but they were there. They were there, and, and they tried to bring comfort to his life, albeit in the worst possible manner. Some people are fair-weather friends, and that makes them fickle friends. Some people will be your friend as long as your life is good for you, and it's in their best interest to be your friend. The prodigal son, you know the story in Luke chapter 15, he wanted his share of the estate, and so he, his father gave him half, half the estate, and he took off, and he went into the far country, and he was having a blast of a time. And as long as he had money, and there was wine, women, and song, he had lots of friends. But as soon as the money ran out and the wine, women, and song ran out, his friends disappeared because they were fickle friends. They were fair-weather friends. They were in it only for themselves. They had no real interest in the prodigal son 
whatsoever. Solomon writes in in Proverbs 14.20, The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. A fickle friend will be loyal to your face and then turn right around and stab you in the back. And the problem with fickle friends is that you can't trust them because they do not have any integrity. You can't count on what's on the inside of them holding firm. Samuel Johnson said, There can be no friendship without confidence and no confidence without integrity. You can never really be sure of your friends if you can't count on what's on the inside of them. Do, are they people of integrity? Then you can have some confidence that they're going to be there at all times for you. So there are faithful friends, there are forbidden friends, and there are fickle friends. But there is one last kind of friendship that Jesus talks about in the scripture, and that is forever friends. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 16, verse 9, he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, I'm not exactly thrilled with the, um, the NIV translation there of that verse in particular, because I think the meaning there is broader than just worldly wealth. But Jesus is reminding us there that life is short and that it is a prelude to something eternal. And either this life here on earth is a prelude to something that is horrendous and eternal, or it is a prelude to something that is um, extraordinarily fantastic. And eternal. But this short life is simply a prelude to something eternal. Whether it's horrendous or whether it's fantastically wonderful. And what Jesus says is that you and I ought to use the life that we have, the resources we have, the worldly wealth... Um, everything that we have, our personalities and, and our resources and all of that and our opportunities, we ought to use that to make friends for Jesus, forever friends for Jesus. You and I, when we have a friend and we meet someone else and we think, man, that'd be good for this person to meet that person. We introduce our friends to other people they think that we think they would like to know. In the same way, we ought to introduce people to Jesus because everyone needs to know Jesus. There was a little chorus that we grew up. I asked my wife if she grew up singing it. She didn't. Uh, But everybody, um, no, that's the other one. Everybody ought to know Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The men and the women and the boys and the girls, everybody ought to know Jesus. Any of you heard that? I just made it up. 
<laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> the other one that you probably do know um, goes, everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know um, who Jesus is. And then it goes on and on. But anyway, you know, that theme, everybody ought to know Jesus. That, that, Jesus is talking about forever friends. Jesus says one of the great things about forever friends is that if they die before you do, they will be there to welcome you and say, hey, glad you finally made it. Um, And they'll be there to welcome you. And if you die before they get there, you'll be there at the edge of heaven saying, oh man, it's so good to see you. What a joy to be able to go to heaven and see people that wouldn't be there if you hadn't introduced them to Jesus. Because there is no other gate, there is no other door to get into heaven except through Jesus. And so that's a really important thing to know, that God wants us to make forever friends for Jesus. But before that, the most important thing for us to know about forever friends is that Jesus has invited us to be his forever friend. And you won't find a more committed friend than Jesus for yourself. John says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Never again Will you ever have anyone who would lay down their life for you like Jesus? There was a Jewish man who lived in Germany um, under Hitler as a child until his family escaped. um, And he only had one test of a friend. He said, I want to know if that friend would hide me. That was his one test of a friend. I want to tell you what, Jesus is that friend that will hide you. (laughs) Jesus is the friend that would lay down his life for you and for me. The greatest news is not that we choose him, but that he has chosen us. And all we have to do is respond to that. When I was growing up, I told you uh, many times that I was never very good on the playground athletic-wise or any of that. And so we, we played a lot of dodgeball at recess when I was growing up. And, you know, probably it was about, besides the playground, we had those red uh, rubber balls, and, and we, we did a lot of dodgeball. And we would go out, and, and I don't know why we never got smart enough to figure out that you could just keep your team, but every recess we went out and re-picked our team. And um, I was always one of the last one or two or three people to get picked because I just wasn't very good. But you know what? It never, ever occurred to me to say, okay, now I've been chosen, but I don't choose you. It never occurred to me. Every time somebody picked me to be on their team, I always went and joined the team. Every single time. Even though I kind of knew in the background that they didn't really want me. (laughs) I still went and got on the team. You know what? The fact is, 
Jesus chose us. He wants me. He wants you. He wants all of us to be on his team, and he chose us. It's not about us choosing him. It's the fact that he chose us. And all we have to do is respond and go get on the team. And yet so many of us, we don't get around to doing that. We don't do what I just naturally did as a child. Once they chose me, I went and got on the team. But Jesus has chosen us, and we just kind of said, I'm not sure what I want to do. And I want to just say to you today, Jesus has chosen you. What are you doing with that? Are you on the team? Or are you just standing off waiting to figure out whether you're going to get on the team or not? He has chosen you. It's not about you choosing him. It's about the fact that he has already chosen you. Henry Ford said, My best friend is the one who brings out the best in me. No one will ever bring out anything better in your life than Jesus. No one will ever bring out anything better in your life than Jesus. Make him your forever friend. Here are three questions I want to ask from this. For whom are you a faithful friend? And with which forbidden friend do you need to cut some ties? For whom have you been a fickle friend or a fair weather friend? And maybe you need to make some apologies there and make things right. And then two things to do. First, um, if, if we have, if Jesus has called us and chosen us, and he has, he's chosen everybody. Are we joining the team? Am I going to say, I am a forever friend of Jesus? But secondly, once we've done that, is it our life mission to make forever friends for Jesus and introduce other people to Jesus? Jesus.